HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Austin East Ciders. For more information, visit their website at austineastciders.com. I'm Erica Wise, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Today, our guest is Kimberly Prokoshin. She is the sommelier, head sommelier at Rebel in New York City. She curates probably one of the most interesting and extensive wine programs in New York City. We're going to talk to Kimberly about sommeliers and wine. Kimberly's going to stay with us for our weekly wine sip. We're going to taste the Morgon from France. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation. We bring wine to the people. All right. So, what is a sommelier? What is the role of a sommelier in a restaurant or a wine bar? Does the title intimidate you? How can a psalm heighten your drinking and dining experience? We'll ask Kimberly, 2015's Wine and Spirit magazine's best new sommelier and head sommelier of Rebel, located in the Bowery in Manhattan. Kimberly, welcome to the Grape Nation. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you here. So let me just set the agenda up for you. I want to talk to you about the role of a sommelier, and I think you can help us with that. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about Rebel, because the reason I asked you here is I think it's probably one of the most interesting wine bar and restaurants in the country, probably. I want to talk about the wine scene in New York, and I also want you to point us out to what wines we should be drinking now. But before we get to that, I want you to tell us a little about you and your journey, how you got to rebel. I'm sure it required certain things. 
Just so, some. <laughs> so go ahead. Um, yeah. So hi, everybody. Um, yeah. I. Uh, yeah, I arrived at Rebel um, kind of by accident. Um, I worked in, I have worked in restaurants for um, over ten years now. I'm going on my eleventh year in New York. Um, I had done catering and stuff when I grew up in Connecticut. When I moved to New York, I lied my way into my first restaurant job, um, which was where uh, I was on Second Avenue uh, and Seventh Street at Barrage Little. French bistro that's still there. Um, I met. How the, old were you? Uh, I was nineteen. So. Okay. Um, so technically, you weren't even legal drinking age. Oh yeah, definitely okay. not. <laughs> definitely I like not. That. Um, but yeah, I lived, actually lived on Rivington Street uh, between Bowery and Christie, so kind of full circle. I'm back working like a block away from there. Um, but yeah, I moved into a studio apartment with a couple friends, and there were four of us living there. Um, splitting a $1,600 monthly rent, and I worked at Farage, and um, it was kind of, I had a dream of moving to New York, and restaurants seemed like the best way to fund that, and uh, I had always liked working with food, doing catering, you know, it's not really high caliber stuff, but I loved um, the perks of getting to eat afterward, and you know, the camaraderie that comes with the people you work with, and and actually working the events was always really fun, so it just seemed natural that I'd move into restaurants, um, and yes, yeah, so I worked at Barrage. How long were you there? Uh, I was there for, I think, a year and a half or two years. Um, when I decided to go back to school, um, I kind of I was a little burnt out. I had been working 60 hours a week. Did you go on your own, or did your parents make you go back to school? No, I went back. I did okay. go on my own. I wanted to finish college, and um, I was taking art classes at Hunter, and um, I, I had already done two years, so I figured I might as well finish. And and brunches were burning me out, and doubles and everything, and I was like, ugh, enough. I'm done with restaurants. I'm not going to do it anymore. And... Um, yeah, but um, I loved working there. I loved... What happened um, after Virage? So after Virage... Virage school? Yes. So then I, I went to school. Finished, I eventually finished school. I worked a bit um, doing retail stuff, and I ended up hating it. So I kind of realized I needed to maybe make my way back into restaurants. I worked at a cafe on Prince Street um, where I ended up meeting my future husband. And uh, then he they the crew there it was a really casual place but the crew had worked in fine dining and it was the first time i kind of got a taste of what a uh, career um di- you know career service people looked like and then um that appealed to you it appealed to me but it wasn't really until i made my way to uh i kind of got poached to work at this place called the Barry Kitchen that was there um in the space that Pearl Nash now is so right. i worked there for the three months that it was open or so, and then I was there when Pearl When Ash you took the job, did you have any idea that it was on its way out? Uh, no, it opened. It opened in August, and it closed oh, in really? November. So I was there for the beginning and the end, and then the beginning again. So, um, But that was also, you know, it was a very different place than what Pearl Nash became. Um, but I was, I always, you know, I loved to cook at home at that point. I didn't know a lot about wine. I was just spending most of my time cooking at home and and um, playing around with flavors and things like that. Um, and then, and I was reading a lot about, you know, different memoirs from people who had, who were mostly chefs and um, working or, you know, farmers. And um, 
then, yeah, and then I was, I remember I watched a documentary about uh, Paul Brent, and then the day after, um, they had Richard come in, and, and he was going to be the new chef, and it just so happens he had been in that documentary, and it was sort of this serendipitous thing where I was like, oh, and like became, I felt that there was this feeling of things changing, and um, the people coming on board liked how I worked, and they kind of took me under their wing. Um, when was the defining wine moment? Um, actually, for me, the first, the first uh, defining wine moment was with um, a natural wine uh, that's uh, from the Loire Valley. Uh, it's called uh, Patapon from Brissou. It's a Pinot Dini. Um, I remember that was quite a little while after, um, but maybe a few months into Pearl and Ash being open, I was helping Patrick on the floor, and um, he had me taste that. And it's Patrick is Patrick Cappiello. Yes. Patrick is the head sommelier yes. of Pearl and Ash and Rebel. At that point, mm-hmm. you weren't dedicated to wine. You no, were just at the I restaurant. Was whatever they needed to, me to be, pretty much. But I was working as a server and then spending a lot of time doing whatever else needed to be done to keep the so restaurant So when open. did the wine, like when did you focus towards wine? Uh, well, that was really um, Patrick and Brandon kind of, they saw something in the way that I was uh, interested in what they were doing and and compa- like I just gravitated I think I gravitate towards service and and hospitality in that way and they kind of told me maybe you should think about doing this for a career because beforehand I had no idea what a sommelier was that it could be a did career. Did you say to yourself oh yeah maybe I could do yeah, this? Yeah I was like ooh I can do this okay. I will definitely do this. They took yeah. you under their wing? Yep they did. So they, um, yeah. I, they so at that point, it was an in-house wine yeah. education experience. It was pretty much experience. A, a, like, um, yeah, men, he's, I mean, Patrick has definitely been my mentor through and through. So so you became the head sommelier at Rebel, Yes. Which is an incredibly wine-centric place. When did that happen? Um, so we opened a year and a half ago. Um, and uh, about... Six months, I think, before opening, I started uh, phasing myself out of Pearl and Ash. Um, eventually, I had been working as a sommelier on the floor at Pearl and Ash. So by the time you were phasing out Pearl and Ash, you were already yes. sort of had yes. your wine I, so sea legs. Definitely. I um, I think it's been three years since Pearl and Ash, like, since Pearl and Ash has been open. So six months into Pearl and Ash being open, I... Um, or maybe even a little bit before I started working under Patrick, uh, receiving orders and processing wine and just doing all the grunt work that was needed to maintain a really, really intense wine program. Um, because at that time it was only Patrick. Um, and then there, so I started working with him and then Patrick um, was doing everything. Rebel and Pearl and No, well, Rebel opened after Pearl and After, okay. So at the time Pearl and Ash was the the baby. It was the only, the only restaurant there. And it it was, you know, it wasn't even intended to be his full-time thing. He was started as a, a consultant and it just grew into this amazing, um, well-received program from the rest of the wine industry and wine wine geeks. Everyone kind of flocked there. So it grew into something bigger than I think anyone could have imagined. You got that cred from the industry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you make it interesting, and I guess people will come. So, so we'll, we'll get to the wine program at Rebel and sort of what you do on a daily basis there and talk about the program. But I want to talk to you because you really came up through the grassroots, I want to talk to you. I want you to tell our listener when they walk into a restaurant, um, I want you to tell them what is a sommelier? 
yeah. your interpretation. Yeah, I mean, I like one of the things Patrick has always, always told me, especially when I first started, he didn't want me to get too big of a head. And it's he's like, sommelier is a wine waiter. So um, I kind of, as a base, as a foundation, I think that's a good, it is a good reference because um, we're sort of, Samle, you're serving guests who come into the restaurant first and foremost. Um, you are also serving the producers um, and kind of being advocates and voices of the producers of the wines that you're serving. Um, so it's important to be open and gracious, but also knowledgeable about what you're providing and being able to... Um, you know, make it a fun experience where, you know, hopefully the guests can learn something, have a takeaway, but also just really enjoy whatever it is they're drinking. So I think wine waiter is a good term. Yeah, I do. Because your waiter will run you through the menu and yeah. tell you the specials <laughs> and the ingredients. Exactly. You take that specialty, mm -hmm. you know, as far as what the wine is. Um, I know that Rebel is sort of a magnet for wine geeks, mm -hmm. and you see that all night, all week. But I'm assuming that they're just regular people that come in oh, are, you know, adventurous yeah. and, you know, I'm sure that happens. Um, what, uh, how can a sommelier heighten and enhance a customer's experience? You know, what is it that you'll do, you know, when you stand over a customer and try to help them? You'll have people like me that think they know everything. Mm -hmm and know a little and then you'll have people that don't know anything and but are adventurous how do you enlighten that experience how do you enlighten and heighten that yeah. experience i mean i think one part of the job is understanding people and being able to read a guest uh within just a few seconds of interacting and kind of, you know, depending on the night, maybe they want, you have to understand what kind of experience they want because you don't necessarily, you know, if you're out with your parents or it's going to be a different experience than if you're out with, like, business people. Or, or and it also is personality. So, um, so you yeah. eyeball the situation. Yeah, I eyeball the situation. Like, this guy's here with his grandparents. Yeah. Or this guy's here with his business yeah. workers. Or Two different kinds of... Yeah. Service. And depending, you know, what kind of wine drinker they are, too. So if, if they're into something that's funky and offbeat or if they're into something that's more classic, what do they usually like to drink? Where, where so you go them? through a series of questions. Yes, definitely. You know, red or white, what do you like? Mm -hmm. What do you normally drink? You could find yeah. out how experimental people are. Yeah, and especially even based on if, if you ask them, like, you know, is there a region that you really like to drink from usually? And depending, you can kind of understand how much somebody knows, not in a way where you're judging them, but just understanding right. how, like, I wouldn't take somebody who's normally, you know, comfortable drinking California Cab to maybe some, you know, Pinot DNA from Loire. It's completely opposite and doesn't right. make sense. So you have to have, like, the, the train of thought has to, it has to progress. And so if the person knows virtually nothing about what they want, you have to sort of build mm -hmm. up through yeah. a series of questions, yeah. you know, what do you like? Is that difficult? Do you uh, ever get frustrated? No, I like. I think I, I like it, which I think is good if you're a sommelier <laughs> that you like kind of doing. That's, uh, it's that's sort of, part of the it's challenge. It's like almost like uh, investigative detective work, 20 questions, right. um, kind of dissecting down a lot of information in just a few, few moments because, you know, if it's busy, which often it is, you don't have so much time either. Who Who's the tougher customer? The know-it-all who thinks he knows it all, but you know doesn't really know mm -hmm. it, or the guy who doesn't know anything 
and it's just hard to get out of them. I mean, what's, what's the more fun challenge or what? Um, I think, well, I really enjoy talking. Um, I enjoy talking with all sorts of people, but it's super fun to talk with people who are interested in wine but don't have the know or the vocabulary to really explain exactly what they're looking for. So it's almost like you're doing translating together, and it's kind of fun. I like, I like that. Do you ever have trust issues like people worry oh this woman's gonna bring me out a really expensive bottle of wine or oh, for sure i mean more how do like, you calm people down that way <laughs> i think um well for it's less with me i look kind of young and i'm small so a lot of times people you're I, not intimidating they're yeah i'm not intimidating like, she'll no. be fine here's <laughs> so, a 61 latour yeah, they're like are you sure are you you're the sommelier are you sure like so that they, so that's more like so your whole presentation mm-hmm. puts people at ease yeah, or they have. A, I have to just. I think, you know. I feel like now I've done it enough times that I feel fairly confident usually when I'm tableside. So I think confidence is really key. When I first started working um, on the floor as a sommelier, I definitely was scared of the, the the big wolves, the guys who have a lot of money or who will spend a lot of money on a bottle and want did to get you your feel toothpaste. they felt they knew more than you oh yeah and they probably did i mean to be honest it's right. like sometimes there's guests who who know more than you and i've learned a lot from those people just remembering how they what they drink and how they progress right. and and so i think um you know work the enough times of like going through the pain of working with people like that now right. i feel pretty comfortable do you find yourself going through a series of common questions throughout the night and the week? Like, do you ask people, how much do you want to spend? Or is it as obvious as, are you drinking red or white tonight? Yeah. Um, are you adventurous? <laughs> I mean, do you find yourself, is that part of the repertoire of questions you'll ask yeah, people? Yeah, definitely. I kind of start broad and then I go um, more detailed. So, um, yeah, less like, you know, so you're thinking about doing a bottle, great. Uh, you want to, you're looking into, what are you thinking? Do you want to do red, white, sparkling? And then um, I kind of look to see, um, do you prefer, do you want to do something that's like fruitier? Or actually, I'll probably, yeah, fruitier or earthier, lighter, fuller bodied, medium bodied. And then I kind of like. You'll throw out all the adjectives. Yeah. People but go, oh yeah, earthy, fruity. Yeah. And then I like the, actually the, my favorite, where I get a lot of information is if people, like, what do you usually like to drink? Is there a region you really like or a grape you really have enjoyed? Do you have a picture of anything you've had recently that you really liked? Because then it kind of gives you an idea of um, style. You can kind of, it reminds you of another bottle that you've had or something. And like, So in baseball, there's batting average. Mm-hmm. How many times you hit the ball? Mm-hmm. In sommelier, I guess how many times you get the right wine <laughs> into a person's glass and mouth. Do you run into instances where people say to you, this is not what I wanted. This isn't what. Yeah, does it happens. It, not it often, though? Um, less and less, knock on wood, as I've been working. But I, it does happen. I mean, um, I remember, it, I mean, more like when I first started on the floor, but it's, it's happened. I, I had a guest ask me. Um, they were looking at, um, what were they looking at? It was Fantino uh, Barolo, like 1998, and Hirsch Bohan Dillon Pinot Noir 2013. So two actually like pretty different wines. And so I kind of, uh, Patrick was away. And usually at that point, he and I were working on the floor together often. So I didn't, 
I had to kind of make the call on my own and I was like, oh, do the Nebbiolo, it's awesome, it's great. And he was like, this is, I served it to him, he's like, this is dried out and like, you know, there's no fruit here, it's like the allspice and there's nothing. And I was like, Ugh. and you know, Patrick came back and he's like, well, the first thing you have to realize is like, those wines are really different. So maybe you want right. to figure out the what expectation. is it. Yeah, what is it they're looking that for? That particular mm-hmm. wine wasn't dry or off. It's just the profile of yeah. Barolo compared to the guy's expectations. Right. It just didn't, no. he wanted probably a little sweeter, fruitier. Yes. What'd you say the other wine was? A Hirsch Pinot Hirsch Noir? Pinot from Sonoma. And, and I think, so I've kind of gotten the habit of you know, if people say, well, we're deciding between these two wines, I'll kind of be like, well, this one's going to be right. more like this, and this one's going to be more like that. Do you play so. food into the decision? Like, what are you eating? Um, yeah, we we do, but it is a little, it's definitely less than other other restaurants where they do pairings, because um, we, if anyone, if you've, you know, if anyone's looked at the list, it's very um, heavy with bottles, so there's not right. a lot of by-the-glass pours, so you're, I'm really helping guests pick out a bottle that's going to work well with their entire meal, or, you know, starting with something moving into there, so it's, it's important, and um, I wouldn't, you know, there's certain things I won't, I would say you probably shouldn't do, right. like, you know, some full-body cab with the light hake dish, but right. if you like, but at the same time, if you like that kind of thing, maybe you would hate to do a white, maybe you hate white wine, so... We can find some kind of equilibrium. So let's put a cherry on top of this. So what's the best way to describe with a bunch of adjectives what a good sommelier is? (laughs) What are, you know, the elements? Um, I think, well, um, they have to, I think the best psalms are ones who um, can relate to people and because like I said you're relating to the guests and you're relating also so to arrogance and being a know-it-all not good yeah not good what else and, and um, openness to learn there's always more to learn in terms of wine there's so many regions so many wines so many grapes so many years like there's just um, a lot to remember and a lot to re- um, yeah to learn I think um Patience is important too. There's on your part. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because you're doing, um, you know, a lot of a lot of different kind of work and uh, and um, dealing with numbers and also like an inventory and bins and all of those things. Right. You and, didn't talk about the business part of it. Yeah. Which is meeting with wine people, distributors, inventory, inventory. keeping the. There's a whole business side to that. Yeah. But that we'll come to that yeah. in another time. All right. I want you to tell me about Rebel and the wine program there. Um, I'm very interested in it. It's uh, I, I Last time I looked at the wine list, it was 80, 90 pages long. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like 99, right? But there's the table of contents and by glass. So All right. I think so about 90, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so tell me why it's so long. And what's on it? Okay. What's yeah. the compulsion to have? Because that's a big wine list. It's a big wine list. It is. But um, so, like I've said, so Patrick's he's he's taught me pretty much everything I know, and and um, and so he comes from like a, a lineage of long wine lists as well, working at Veritas and Tribeca Grill, and um, Gilts later. Um, those where he are created all... his own. Yeah. So those are all really long wine lists, and I know when he first started with Pearl and Ash, he initially told you know, spoke with the owners and he's like, well, if you want me to come on, I, it's got to be a long list. Like it's going to be long. That's what I do. And, and I, they agreed. And they agreed. And so I think, um, it's, 
you know, it's the way that I've learned to do it. And what it allows is you, um, we have a lot of verticals, mostly verticals from different producers. So when I say verticals, I mean like you have the winemaker and then you have um, all the vineyards or, you know, a bunch of the vineyards they work from. Yeah, successive vintages. And so it really allows, should someone choose, to kind of work their way through the different expressions of of a winemaker's like... Right. What the list is composed of a concentration of certain regions, right? Which so are it's, it's exclusively French and American, okay. um, whereas Pearl and Ash was an inter, is an international wine list. Um, so when Pearl and Ash uh, is you know it's more modern American kind of cuisine, and um, the list encompasses pretty much anything. Um, whereas when we open Rebel, um, it's a you know American French restaurant. So. Uh, French restaurant done by you know um, Americans who really love France and there was a term used describing the restaurant called bistronomy yes which is sort of a new wave new age French food bistro is that accurate yeah I mean I and that serves the list well (laughs) you know speak against what Danny our chef he's you know trying to um, what he's doing but uh, he comes from Spring in Paris, um, which, which is an American in Paris. Yes, American in Paris. And that's Daniel Eddy. Daniel Eddy, and um, and you received a Michelin star for Rebel. Yes, big he did. deal. He did. Yeah. So you have a Michelin star and a ninety-page wine list. Yeah. How are you not going to have a good time? Right? <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. So the French portion of the wine list, break it down for me. You have your Bordeaux. Yeah. Your Burgundies, mm-hmm. Rhone. Yeah. Where does the rest of the list go? I'm sure it doesn't. I'm sure there's a lot of bottles of that, but what else? Yeah. Uh, so we have the well, we have Loire, uh, Savoie, Jura. Where uh, is Savoie? Um, Savoie is kind of in the Alps area. It's um, sort of um, in the southern, um, like a little south. Uh, west of the Jura. Okay. Um, the Jura is where? And the Jura is. Um, Don't tell near me northeast of Savoy. It's right. near Switzerland. So it's um, another sort of, ma- uh, well, it's like a mountainous right. um, area as well. Mm-hmm. And the American wines, I'm assuming you have a lot of the yes, famous have- California winemakers, uh-huh. Sonoma, Napa, Colt wines, but have you spread out and looked for interesting wines? from the U.S. too? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, we have a pretty large selection of uh, Finger Lakes. Um, we have some North Fork, so from New York, uh, both those regions. And then, um, you know, or- Oregon, of course, Washington. Um, we even have from Arizona, and we've had from Idaho in the past. I don't think it's on right now, but... Um, and in terms of California, we don't we have some of your expected regions, but there's a ton of smaller regions too that are getting more credit, and um, a lot of smaller winemakers who are seeking out older vineyards right. and really looking to create wine. That's so. I'm sure there are more winemakers that want to be on the list than you put on the list, as large as Probably. the list is. Yeah. So take a region because it's around the corner, like Long Island. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a few dozen wineries there. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing, because I don't remember from looking at the list, that you don't have every Long Island winery on. No, we actually... So we, you yeah. taste through and curate and decide yeah. 
yeah. like any other wine. Yeah, and there's there's so there's a lot that you know I would like that come on the list that rotate in and out, um, but. Uh, yeah, so we, we it's about to do yeah. Dejecting. Same thing with the Finger Lakes, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. There's some rock stars in every region, and then some solid producers. Yeah, definitely. Them. Great. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to do my Joan Rivers. Can we talk about Burgundy? <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about Burgundy for a minute because your list has a lot of Burgundy, and. We don't curse a lot on this show, but there's a lot of heavy shit on that list. Um, And Burgundy tends to be a wine, especially to my listeners, that is not accessible, highly allotted, very collectible, and expensive. So the average guy ain't drinking a lot of Burgundy. What I want you to help me with is how can we inform our listeners how to drink Burgundy on a budget? Is there is that possible? Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, walk me through regions, wines, specifics. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, for Bur- okay, well, I mean, if you're looking to, as far as like drinking Burgundy, keep the price down. Keeping too. yeah, I mean, I would. I don't know how easy it is to do, but I think producers in Burgundy are kind of are key. First, having a few producers that. Um, make really great quality, and they since in Burgundy they work in several different subregions of the region. You can often find good value in like um, Bourgogne is kind of the beginning. B o u r g o g n e. Yes. So Bourgogne is a region of Burgundy. Well, it's um, it's a general. Um, AOC, so it can be from any area okay. of Burgundy. Burgundy is separated down into. Um, it's like there's, uh, you know, uh, I, tons of villages. So, right. Um, but B- Borgone can be from any of those villages. Um, where- so Borgone is a value-priced red wine mm-hmm. from the Burgundy region from a variety of the makers. Yes. One that I, I like a lot is um, from uh, Pierre Moray. Uh, they're Pierre? Pierre. Moray? Moray. Spell it. Uh, M-O-R-E-Y. Okay. And he makes a Bourguignon? Yeah, it's actually um, his daughter, Anne Moray. She's making the wines now. And they do, um, they have, yeah, they make a Bourguignon white and red that's just, um, you know, it's not, it's under, I think, under $20 retail. Oh, that's a great price point. Or around there. And it's, um, yeah, it's. They work uh, biodynamically um, and are doing, yeah, they do everything right. It's really, like, light, fresh, and really enjoyable. Um, I th- is there another thing like Bourgogne? Yeah. So the, another I was going to say is Bourgogne uh, Pasta Tote Grand is another. <laughs> is that the maker? Or? No, it's the, the, the region. It's a blend of Gamay and Pinot Noir, whereas okay. Burgundy is always Pinot Noir. We're going to try a Gamay in a few minutes. Yeah. So... so Tell it to me again. It's uh, Bourgogne, so it's uh, past. Yeah, and then Pasta Tote Grand. It's P. I think it's P A S T E T O U T G R A I N. Okay. <laughs> Spelling is that better. readily but, available? Can yeah, you go yeah, into a good wine is. store I mean, in New York? It, in New York, you can definitely. What's the price find point it. on that? Um, and it's around twenty. Okay. I would say, if, and from a, a good producer, it's really. 
I think it's definitely worth it. Um, Grofier is a, a great producer. Um, it's G-R-O-F-F-I-E-R. Yeah, yeah. And his pasta to grain is 90% Pinot from actually Premier Cru Vineyards, which are the highest. So that's a fair way to break into Burgundy. Yeah. Grab some good wines from some good makers, yeah. compliment some food, and wow your friends. Yeah. Hey, I brought wines from Burgundy. Yeah. And I think Marcinet is another another um, area to look at. So that's a, um, a village that uh, is still pretty value-driven. Um, and when, when you find... The years are important, too, so 2012. Right, is, like is any like, vintage yeah. year. Some are and better 13s. than others. I mean, 14, Wait, so give me, old. in the last four or five years, mm-hmm. the best vintages? Well, they're all good, but they're different. So it's like if you're looking for maybe, you know, 11, 2011 tends to be tends to be a little bit lighter and a little more herb- herbaceous, whereas um, 2012 has a little more density to it. Um, the 13s, too, um, the fruit quality to me is always a little bit juicier and darker. And 14s are the current release, so those are the ones coming to market. And um, for whites and reds, it's great. There's just um, there's a little more structure and kind of the acidity is quite prominent, so the whites especially are very good. It's crazy how mm-hmm. the characteristics vary. Yeah, they really do. I mean, Burgundy is, is definitely intimidating. It was the first, I mean, I was it's super intimidated to wine. get into it. But it, once you delve in, it's hard to back out. All right, enough of the Burgundy stuff. <laughs> Um, I know you look for sort of under-the-radar wines and wine regions. I think the list prides itself on spreading out into some of those places. Tell me, like you told me about some of the Burgundies, tell me about some cool wine regions, not necessarily new, but new, or Mm -hmm. things that excite you, um, that you're serving at the restaurant that you're drinking. Yeah, sure. I mean, Loire is definitely one that... um I I really love and so Loire is a region in France like Bordeaux and Burgundy mm-hmm. and let's talk about some of the wines that excite you that come out of there. Yeah, um, I mean so Bernard Baudry is the producer. B e a u d r y. And and Chinon uh, Chinon is the region. As C H I N O N. So they do. That's a red wine. And it's yeah, it's mostly red Cabernet Franc is the grape. Um, has a really long history as a region of um, winemaking, um, and the the Beaudry wines are some that I've always always really enjoyed. Um, and you know, it's it's great because you know at the same time you're supporting a family. It's, right. Was um, started by Bernard in the late seventies, early eighties, um, and youngest in the family he wasn't able to acquire the family vine so he kind of found his own and has always been working uh with a natural approach and focusing on single vineyards and um their reds are great and some are really good value like the lagrange um retail it's around twenty dollars as well um and and they do some really great whites too actually recently so um i always like those wines Um, any any other regions so you have oh, the, and the, the Rhone I love Rhone I love Syrah so Northern Rhone uh, and Southern Rhone but for me Northern Rhone is is kind of where it's where it's at for you're me. more of a Northern yeah, I like the Syrahs right so alright so we do a thing here called the wine list and 
I didn't prep you on this. It's spontaneous. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions because okay. I'm curious what experts like you are drinking and thinking. So I'm going to ask you about five or six questions. Don't dwell on them. Try to answer them. There's no right or wrong answer. So what wine are you drinking right now? What do you keep going back to? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, I usually don't have anything this... Well, right now at home, I have a Jamais Cote de Rhone 14 open on the kitchen counter. That's that a I great wine. Yesterday. So it's a good wine, and it's more money than I usually spend yeah. on wine. <laughs> but, a great um, uh, I Another that I've, I've been drinking often is kind of a house wine. I have... Um, Lafarge, uh, Pasta Tocron. So again, that example, and it's the 2012, um, and that one's you know it's more like. So you're it. you're a Rhone fan. I do like for I sure. do like Rhone. Mm-hmm. All right, your favorite wine and food pairing. You know, everybody says champagne mm-hmm. and oysters, fine. <laughs> but what what is a favorite wine and food pairing? I mean, what makes you smile? Um, well, uh, there's the one that I eat a lot. Is just I, we, my husband and I, we make. Um, well, he cooks uh, roasted chicken every week, pretty much. And what do you pair with and that? And I drink Beaujolais with it. So. Okay, so roasted chicken and Beaujolais, mm-hmm. and Beaujolais is a terrific value wine. Yes, it is. Um, s- exclude pearl and ash and Rebel. Mm-hmm. Favorite wine restaurant or wine bar? Uh, uh, company Sir Natural. Where's that? Uh, it's on, I always walk there, but I forget exactly. It's on Center Street. Okay. Center it's downtown Street. Manhattan. Um, yeah, off of Lafayette. And, um, yeah, Caleb uh, Ganser and the crew over there, they're awesome. And the wine list is really fun to kind of drink through. All right. What about favorite all-time wine? Uh, well, that's this. So this could, year I turned 30. If you give me an answer, it doesn't have to be number one. But what's one, <laughs> one of your that, favorite? My, the first one that is pretty recent. I turned 30 in August and um, Patrick very, very graciously opened um, a birth year bottle of Rouleau Perrier 1986. Nice. This is a really, really special bottle of white burgundy. And it was absolutely amazing. It lived up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nice. Did you have a meal with it, or you just drank? Okay. (laughs) Nice. Tell me the best wine label you've seen. Oh, the best wine label. Um, I... Uh, the first one that popped into mind actually is sort of a Folkway Machine. Um, they work in California, and they have some What's it called? Folkway Machine. Folkway Machine. Um, they do, like, a lot of different bottlings of things, but the labels are always really colorful and fun and funky. Cool. Mm-hmm. We'll have to look out for that. All right, last question. Best wine under 15 bucks retail. You're going to a store with a friend. Your friend calls you and says, I need a great bottle of wine, 15 bucks. Mm-hmm. Give me a red. Give me a white. Um, so I would go for um, Muscadet, Pepier. The Muscadet is always, like, a really good call. It's always... And it's around 15 yeah, bucks? Yeah, 15. Um, Muscadet, in general, for white wines, tends to be really good value. And a good um, food wine. And a good food wine, great with oysters. Right. And, um, and then uh, for red... 
Uh, I actually, I always like the Lafayette, it's like the, the guy, the label has a little cartoon guy drinking the jug, it's like uh, rice on something, and it's, um, he's a great producer in Beaujolais, and this is sort of his younger vines, and it's fairly... So what's it called again? Uh, it's Lapierre. Lapierre. And the, the wine itself is called uh, Raison. Raison. How would Raisins, you... Raisins, like R-A-I-S-A-N-S. All right, those sound like two good wines. All right, we're going to taste our weekly wine sip, and we're going to taste a Morgon this week. Will you stay with us? Absolutely. Taste it with us and help us evaluate it? Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Taxstar, and this song is called Relax, It's Just the End of the World. Are you an East Sider? We live on the east side of town. Our shipping container studios are at Roberta's in Bushwick, across the East River, separating New York City and Brooklyn. In all my recent travels, it seems like the east side of town is the cool side of town in cities across the country. East Nashville is full of musicians and weird bars. The up-and-coming neighborhood around H Street in D.C., on the east side, is overflowing with exciting food and nightlife. The best hidden spots and funky artists in New Orleans are... In the Maronean Bywater, which, yup, is the east side of town. So, as east siders, we love drinks that represent our values. And nothing is more fitting than a cool, refreshing can of Austin east siders. That's east cider with a C. As the name implies, it is cider. And it's handmade on, you guessed it, the east side of Austin, Texas. Using bittersweet and bittersharp cider apples. Cider apples are full of tannins, adding astringency and complexity of flavor to every sip. Austin East Ciders uses a mixture of European and Pacific Northwest apples to achieve ultimate flavor. Austin East Ciders is available in a few different variations, including original flavor, Texas honey, and two new additions, hopped and pineapple. Here at Heritage Radio, we love Austin East Ciders with some ribs, pulled pork, and even pizza, especially Roberta's Pizza. You can find out more at austineastsiders.com and remember to hashtag Eastsiders to show your Eastside pride. You can also find Austin Eastsiders on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, we're back. Every week we taste a different wine on the air. For this week's weekly wine sip... I've asked Kimberly Prokoshin from Rebel Wine Bar, from Rebel in uh, New York City, to stay with us and taste with us. She said no, so I had to handcuff her to the chair, <laughs> and I'm going to force her to drink this. So today, we're tasting a Morgon from France. It's the 2012 Domaine de Versailles Morgon, a red Beaujolais wine from Jean Claude de Bone. 
The wine is 100% Gamay grape from the hillside vineyards of Debon. It's located in the Beaujolais region of France, a district of the Burgundy region. Now, am I correct? Beaujolais is a district of the Burgundy region, Kimberly? Uh, yeah, okay. although politically it's Rhone. I, right, I know. I've had people borders. ask me about that because right. sometimes it says it. The wine retails for about 16 to 20 bucks and is readily available at larger wine stores. All right. Is there anything else about Morgon that you can add? Um, yeah, uh, I would say so. Mor- Beaujolais has kind of a bad rap, but Morgon is one of the ten villages that's considered a, a crew, classified crew. Um, so the wines tend to be more, um, I hate, like more structured and uh, more age worthy darker, a little more concentrated, and more kind of nuanced. So there's like more minerality, more spice, more a little more of everything. Versus A lot of people mm-hmm. think of Beaujolais as that wine that comes out, what yeah. is it, around Thanksgiving? It's usually new- George mm-hmm. Debov. It's yes. very young. and Yeah, the, they make the Nouveau that's done from the that year's vintage, and it's I don't get that. I mean, is any of that stuff good? I mean, is it fun? I mean, do you yeah, guys have it in the restaurant? We, we do. Yeah, actually, sometimes. I mean, I don't remember if we, but we, we definitely have had uh, Beaujolais Nouveau. And I think um, what it's made for is just kind of quick drinking, right. glue, glue. You know, that's not just, a bad turkey wine. No, right? it's but it's not it's not like uh, you, you wouldn't. Traditionally, you wouldn't, although some things have kind of, maybe people would argue with me, there's certain ones maybe you can age, but you wouldn't really want, want to age that, right. that wine. All right, so we have the 2012 Domaine de Versailles Morgon from Jean-Claude de Bon. Kimberly, let's give it a sniff and a sip. So first, let's look at the color. How is this color for a Morgon? Yeah. It's, Light, dark, meat? Uh, it's... I would say very, it's kind of like a, a garnet color. It's okay. kind of typical, maybe a little bit darker than... Okay. Than. All right, now, nose. So... I'm not getting much. <laughs> Are you getting anything? Uh, it's like a little like blue-fruited and kind of spicy, maybe like pep- a little pepper, soft pepper. Yeah, I'm getting a little like cherry kirsch or whatever. Yeah, yeah, uh, there's a little bit of a candied quality yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's throw it over the tongue. Medium to light body? Yeah. Medium to light body. Not very mouth coating? No, but the, in uh, like moderate acidity, kind of, it's like a little bright. The, the acidity is good? Yeah, I think so. Good for food? Yeah. Yeah, it's not overwhelming, but it's definitely is present. Is this fruity to you? Do you pick up cherry, straw, yeah. red fruits? It is to me. I like cherry and blueberry, but there is still that spice, spicy character too. That is what, like an accent almost. What food would you pair this with? Um, well, I would have roasted chicken with it. <laughs> and now, we I- have to mention that Kimberly's husband <laughs> is a professional chef. <laughs> so when this dude's making a chicken, That's really he's good. making a chicken. It isn't like my aunt seals dried chicken. <laughs> it's like a delicious chicken. It's so. delicious. So this is a perfect match for that. But- All right. So how do we grade this wine? I don't love it. We yeah. had a Vietti, uh, yeah, Vietti is really last good. week, and it was yeah. delicious. Vietti's this really is, good. you know, it, it, it's a serviceable wine. It's serviceable. At best. And I for the price, say, it's okay. Yeah. Like, 
me, yeah. It's there, yeah. there's other examples of Margon that I would Yeah, I would guess more. that if I left it to mm-hmm. you and gave you twenty, twenty five bucks, you'd come back with something a little better than this. Yeah. All right, before we get into our final couple of segments, I just wanted to mention, because it's kind of a cool thing, Kimberly pulls out a bottle every night at the restaurant and Kimberly is pretty social media savvy so she Instagrams what they're drinking. Tell me quickly about that. I had a buddy, I have a buddy, Michael Madrigal (laughs) Uh who did a big bottle program at Balloon suit, and he would take pictures and all of that. Yeah. I see similarities in that. So just tell me about that program quickly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, we do it because I wanted to have a way that we could sort of share the seller that we have and make it accessible to guests um, where I think sometimes it's hard to commit to one bottle um, if you're alone or you don't have anyone to dine out with or you only have half an hour so it's and one of the ways that I really personally like dining at Rebel is at the bar so I think that um, the seller raid really the idea is that it encourages people to come in, have a bite to eat, and like enjoy a glass of wine that that normally would yeah be the available. bottles yeah they're not they're not readily available retail they're and they're you know kind I've of I've seen price ranges from sixteen to eighteen yes. bucks so, so I we mean make there's it, great price points we make it very fairly priced too so so every night you can find an interesting bottle of wine at Rebel, and you could follow Kimberly at Wine Kimberly. That's your Instagram handle? It is, yeah. And your Twitter handle. All right. Finally, if you want to be the smartest guy in your wine group, take a wine course. There's a bunch of great places in New York City offering wine courses. Our friend Laura Maniac has Cork Buzz Wine Studio. She has two locations in New York. You could get in there and learn some stuff. There's the New York City Wine Company, which is located in Chelsea. They have everything from beginner classes to advanced. There's the New York Vintners on Warren Street. And our upcoming guest, Kevin Zraeli, has been running the Windows on the World Wine School for over 40 years. All these classes start at around 50 bucks. And the reason you're paying about 50 bucks is because they're pulling some wine out. And you can take a series of multiple classes, five, six classes, and those classes run uh, two, 250 and up. So take some time and uh, look around for a course at one of these places. If you have a wine happening or event and uh, any other information you want to get to me, hit me up at Sam at the Grape Nation. That's Sam at the Grape Nation. And also, we're going to be posting on our Instagram account, S. Ben Ruby. We're going to be posting Kimberly's choices for the wine list. So look for that in the next day or so. All right. Thank you, Kimberly Precocian, head sommelier of Rebel in New York City. Get down there and look for Kimberly. Thanks to everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. Go to heritageradionetwork.org for more info. And thank you again to our engineer, Pierre. We'll see you next week. Thank you. This program's theme music is brought to you by the Groutet, and this track is called Tinder, eh? Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.